Hi, and welcome back to the Unplugged Debate. Before we get into it, I'd like to invite you over to our Instagram page at the Unplugged Me. Come and join us. We've got more content surrounding the subject of digital detox, digital minimalism, and the topics we talk here. So until then, let's get back into the podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Unplugged Debate. On this podcast, we delve into the ideas surrounding human interaction with both nature and technology, talking to people about their time in the outdoors, starting from when they were younger all the way through to present day, developing a picture on who and what motivates them to be outside and why they do the things they do in the outdoors, crossing over into talking about their technology usage and how that's changed throughout their life and speaking to them about the different types of technology they use on a day-to-day basis from their mobile phones to their running shoes. Once we've developed a good picture of them, we incorporate that into how they think technology has changed their outlook on life and their time in the outdoors. And finishing with how they think technological development has changed society on a wider scale. So hello and welcome. So on today's episode, we have Daniel Lin. Daniel lives in Florida and he is currently studying at the East, Eastern Florida State College, studying organizational management with a focus of HR management. He also runs his own podcast called the Opposition Theory Podcast. Um, and with that, you said you're um, just about to launch that, aren't you? Yes. Perfect. Yes, that'll um, be this week. And what, what day? Uh, well, it was supposed to be yesterday, but I had some things come up with the kid. So as soon as I'm done with this, I'll be actually getting everything loaded up and scheduled. Uh, the first episode will probably be scheduled to launch on Friday or nice. Thursday. I don't know if Friday or Thursday is better for analytics or if it matters. I don't know. You can you can get all the statistics in the world, but it's what's, what's comfortable for you and what you can do, in my, in my yeah. opinion. Um, but you have spent a fair amount of time outside and in our first chat, you were talking about, um, you spent a lot of your summers, um, out in, uh, the outdoors, but you also do a lot of functional strength training. Uh, you like walking in your local na- nature areas, nature trails, um, and you do a bit of golf and your number one hobby is, um, knowledge seeking, which is quite interesting. And that's the first time I've heard someone say that that's their number one uh, hobby. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's more of a, it's almost a passive thing. I'm constantly reading and so I, I could say my number one hobby is reading, but that's just, it's something that I just do innately and mm-hmm. I, I absorb things that I read. So I read a lot of nonfiction and I read about things I do. I read about cars and automotive repair or mechanical repair, woodworking, Mm-hmm. golf motorcycles just anything that interests me i read about and i'm constantly reading more and learning more about things i have a jack of all trades mentality if you will nice and so let's get let's get into that first question um so from a young age uh, where did that sort of outdoor interaction start i yeah, that's hard to pinpoint i grew up 
uh, living, spending a lot of time at and living at my grandparents. They had a mm-hmm. fairly decent sized, like acre and a half, something like that with two or 300 foot of riverfront property. So nice. I grew up fishing on the boat, floating, swimming, always spending time outside there. It was also seasonal. So we had the winters. I grew up in Michigan for for posterity. So spending a lot of time outside in the wintertime, playing in the snow, sledding, snowboarding, snowmobiles. Uh, it was just the thing to do. We spent a lot of time outside. And I was also, video games and computers were still uh, <clears throat> the the cutting edge. And so it wasn't very ingrained yet. So he spent a lot of time outside. My best friend grew up next door and running back and forth, finding time in the woods. I had, I had poison Ivy rash multiple times a year, every year until I was a teenager. Um, one of the only person I know, one of the only people I have ever met was me. Uh, I'm one of the only people I've ever met who has overcome a severe allergy to poison ivy Okay. because I, I don't get it anymore. I used to get poison ivy. Like if I got within six feet of it, I had it all over. And mm. I don't know if it's just something I grew out of or through repetitive exposure, my body just developed a gradual immunity to it, but it doesn't affect me anymore. Okay. And that's, that's where it started. Like three, four years. Like I was, I learned to swim in the river when i was three and i like i took swimming classes at the local pool but that was more of a socialization thing you spend more time around more kids before you actually go to school but like my mom taught me to swim by all right you're getting it good job you're getting it good job and then there was that point where okay you got to learn how to do this without me being right here to catch you and oh i'm scared oh i'm scared my mom threw me into the river and said, swim back or you're going to float downstream. So I swam back. I mean, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's literally taking the, uh, the sink, uh, sink or swim to the extreme, isn't it? Yeah. And she knew I wasn't going to sink because I already had the fundamentals of swimming. Like mm. as a kid, you don't think about all these things. And she also wasn't going to let me float downstream. Like it's a fairly slow moving river, you know, 40 50 feet a minute i don't know it's it's not fast she could have very easily just you know my mom was a high school swimmer so she could have just come and got me but as a kid i didn't know that it was oh no swim or sink or float away and it works and it's those psychological tricks that you can play uh in early childhood years where they don't know any better and so you you instantly trigger into that instinctual like it's a survival instinct it's your it's the most basic instinct that any any animal any living thing has is survive and you can trigger that in a controlled environment and kind of force learning and luckily i'm i'm resilient so that didn't traumatize me because yeah. it's i know some people who probably that would have traumatized them into like massive trust issues I had those, but for good reason. Like my mom wasn't a trustworthy person, but I know she wasn't going to let me drown. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it started at a very young age, and we, in the summers when it was you know when the weather was favorable, we'd be up 
up in northern Michigan at rustic campgrounds. And I think the thing that did it most for me was on all those occasions, we were in rural communities. So not a lot of traffic, not a lot of people. Everybody knows everybody. There were no cell phones. And there was just this level of freedom that you have when there's nature available to you and you're a young child. I living where I live now, I couldn't imagine letting a five, six year old kid just like, yeah, come back, you know, be back in two hours or come back by six or, you know, when dinner is, or I'll ring the bell. My, my friends, my best friend's mom, they had a big like bell on the back porch of their house and you could hear it from a half mile away. And that was his trigger. If he heard that bell come home and it worked. And I can't imagine that where I live in, in this time and place of having that ability to just be like, yeah, kid, go have fun. Where, especially when we went to the campgrounds, good luck. It was, it was, there's food and drinks at camp. So if you get hungry or thirsty, you got to come back to camp. And that was it. We'd get there and we didn't even have to set up the tents because we didn't know how. And the parents would just do it. They're like, we get there. Parents crack open the cooler, start drinking, get setting up camp. They say, all right, kids, here's your bike. Go have fun. And just running free savage through the woods for, you know, three to seven days, however long we were there. So there's that's probably carried in my subconscious for my entire life. There's just a sense of freedom of being out of out of society and in the way I always say in the woods because that's my preferred place but in nature in general it's it's very freeing to just not have anything in your way you can go any direction you want for but as long of a distance as you want and there's nothing stopping you it's that it's that exploration and play type thing that you that you're I'm feeling you're hitting on there is that um, children uh, children developing is is that in that social environment and their ability to just play around like pick up some sticks and you know um, make forts or whatever um, that is that is that what you're sort of hinting at there is just that ability to be out there and, and just play around yeah absolutely it's mm. and that you nailed it with the the exploration and play that thing that during development like young people need that ability to just just explore and just do without having because their brains they they form connections very quickly so the minute you put up a wall that same wall comes up three times that that starts to become a like a base memory whereas if there are no limits and you can stand back like with my mom if you can if you can control the environment without them knowing that you're doing it and just allow them to roam and explore and discover it, it develops all sorts of great characteristics. And I imagine for me, that's where I developed some of my most treasured characteristics and habits. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of teaching uh, research that, that, you know, they try and implement as much guided learning or or free play 
but the problem the problem with doing that is that it requires um, an awful long time and a, and a lot of uh, allowing them to make their own mistakes where certainly maybe traditional education where we go to school you have to fit a certain criteria within a certain amount of time whereas the free play and and, dis and guided discovery takes an awful lot longer so it's interesting that you hit on that early on it's quite uh, quite refreshing so what you're saying is that certainly as you were growing up it was a lot of uh, your grandparents and, and and your parents that would that would take you out was was there a lot of um going out with your friends and stuff in, in that period as well oh yeah like my my best friend that lived next door like the i'll just use the environment around my grandparents residence because i spent most of my youth there hmm. it was <clears throat> uh so rural community about seven or eight miles outside of the nearest town which technically at the time was a village so hmm. population under 2000 and the street they lived on was a, a cul-de-sac it was a long cul-de-sac it was about a mile and a quarter long with houses on either side and with it ran parallel to the river. So all the houses on one side of the street had the river at their back. All the houses on the other side of the street had um, like several thousand acres of, of cornfield behind it, behind them. Yeah. And directly across the river from my grandparents' house was a campground. Hmm. So where people would come and pay to set up campsites, fire pit, and the campground always had events as well uh, throughout the summer. They would have like on the holidays, like Labor Day, Memorial Day, which are American holidays for the most part, uh, Fourth yeah. of July. But all, all the big summer holidays, there would be an event like uh, there was a large warehouse structure on the campground and they would open it up and put tables in it and bring in a DJ and they would have like an event, a, a club party or a 4th of July party or a, a youth dances at the campground in the middle of the summer. And we would, being right across the river, we would just swim across the river and go to these events without paying because we just lived there. We would just sneak in. And my best friend, there was a friend across the street, friend down the street, another friend down the street. And all of the area, you know, We'd spend time running in the running in the cornfield or at the end of the street where the cul-de-sac was, it just divulged into woods where it, it was just a long section of woods that went along the river. We would, you know, fill up our tubes and walk a mile to the end of the street and to the bridge. We would get in the river and float back down home. And again, unsupervised. You know, this was all ages. I, I don't know if we got to float unsupervised. I think the first time I did that, I was eight or nine. But as a group, we we all grew up on the river. We were all very strong swimmers. So there wasn't a concern from our parents. And that's what we did. My my father owned some property for a bit. He had, there was like 17 acres, again, wooded land that butted up to 65 acres of wooded land and the neighbors whose kids became my friends they had eight or nine acres of wooded land so we had a vast forest meadow 
situation we would go explore i i fell through the ice a couple times in the spring when it was whatever but it was shallow pond so nothing significant we just walked home got cold i spent most of my childhood outside and you know as we talked about before i spent several summers literally living outside yeah and so you know fast forward up into your sort of teenage years and to present how has that changed as you've grown up do you still maintain that level of experience outside or as it as it no <laughs> no 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 i uh sadly no um adult life is has its personal demands so hmm. where i wasn't when i wasn't in or when i would have been in school that got replaced by work and it's just uh time i i didn't I wasn't the, I wasn't a caretaker or a, a provider of any kind when I was that age, uh, aside from moral support. So I had the the freedom, you know, the most valuable resource of all, which is time, to just do that. And now I have to make time to do that. And also, I don't live in an area that's as conducive to spending that kind of time outside. Like I mentioned, I like to, I like to go hike my local nature trails, which are a combination of walking and mountain bike trails. But to do that, I have to first leave the house, get in my car and drive 15 minutes to get to the trails. Otherwise the, the region I live in is essentially a massive housing farm. We have all the creature comforts of like groceries, like the supermarket and a few restaurants and fast food. And uh, we have a Walmart. We have two Walmarts. But there are thousands of single family homes. It's it is a very large area that has nothing but uh, scatterplot developed single family homes. And so I have to go. I have to bring myself to the trails to access them and conveniently the trails are across the street from the gym i go to but usually what will happen is if i find myself wanting to go to the trails i'm presently in my life very like i said very focused on uh, my strength training conditioning and like my health and fitness so i find myself well i could go to the trails and go walk three or four miles or i could go to the gym because again, it's one of those things where I have to choose between one or the other. A couple occasions I've actually gone, I go hit the gym, do my workout, and then I have nothing else to do. And I'll just drive across the street and also go walk three or four miles in the woods. But that's few and far between. It's interesting that what, when, when did you actually sort of move to Florida then from Mich- Michigan? When, was, when moved, did that move happen? I moved down here when I was... 15 right so middle of high school uh between my sophomore and junior between my 10th and 11th grade so was that was that a big sort of culture shock for you from going from this uh very rural place in michigan uh where you had huge amounts of and obviously as a teenager you're still developing and you're still getting that opportunity to play to then going to florida where it's less open and there's more housing states and think more people around 
It was, it was an adjustment. I wouldn't so, so much call it a culture shock because I went from rural podunk Michigan to when I first moved here, I lived in Cape Canaveral, Cocoa Beach area. So I mm-hmm. was, I was four blocks from the ocean. Right. So I, I went from one extreme to the next. I also didn't have a driving license yet. So my primary means of transportation was by foot or by my bicycle. So the first thing I did when I got here was I hopped on my bicycle and I went exploring. Mm. Same thing I did back home. I just was doing it in a different environment. So I had my bicycle down and around through town and uh, up to where, where the actual port is. There's a bunch of restaurants and there's a park bunch of stores shops there's fishing lots of fishing there's several marinas there's a pier that goes out into the ocean ride my bike down right like right down the ocean on the beach there's another like a world famous pier in Cocoa Beach that I would ride down uh Ron John's surf shop I tried my hand at surfing that didn't go well Um, but yeah I did I did a fair bit of more of the same exploration I didn't I didn't have anybody to do those things with when I moved down here and that that lasted for the most part until until I got a, my driving license cuz I just I didn't I didn't make any connect, meaningful connections with people that were in my immediate area through school and I've always been I've always been really comfortable being on my own so it it wasn't a very like for mental health reasons it wasn't imperative that i have friends to do things with because i can interact with anybody and i don't i don't have to consider uh other people's opinions when i want to go do something that sounds like kind of crass but it's it's one of those things that gets in the way of the exploration sometimes like, I want to go do this. Oh, I don't really want to go do that. All right, well, what do you want to do? I don't know. Let's go do this. Uh, I guess I can settle for that. And I've, I never had to do that. When I was a kid, it was, there was no question about it. Like, what are we doing this? Yeah, let's do that. Oh, what are we doing this? Hey, come with us. We're doing this. There, there was no deliberation. Someone was doing something and you were invited or you were doing something and you were doing the inviting. And there was no, there was no discussion or deliberation about it. And the older you get and the more ingrained people get into their opinions, their experiences, the more input they have. And I guess to me, that also became a wall in a sense that I, I just walked around by not, by not seeking it out. That's interesting. Um, That the exploration thing sort of stayed with you and, and you, you'll go and do something uh, and not need that social validation or that social inclusion to still enjoy the exploration of going and finding something new, which is interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, and I think that leads us into the talking about the technology side, because you didn't grow up with huge amounts of technology, you said. Um, and I wonder if that, Let's let's start with how much technology you're using on a on a daily basis now. What sort of technology are you using, 
And has your past where that you've had this very much outdoor exploration style um, childhood into adulthood, where's, um, has it affected you in a good way or, you know, where you, where you don't use huge amounts of technology or it's used as a, an optional thing? That's a big question that I just asked. It is, it is. There's a lot of consideration there, but I don't, I don't know if I could say that the technology has influenced me, I guess, mm. as much as other factors. Uh, but on a daily basis, I mean, I'm, <clears throat> I'm speaking to you via the internet on my mm. USB microphone. You're seeing me through my GoPro camera and my, you know, I'm looking at you on my 28 inch curved screen, 144 Hertz gaming monitor. And my laptop is running it all. But that's all daily technology plus cell phone, which that's another thing. I didn't, I didn't have a cell phone until I was 18 years old. Yeah. And that was, um, well, 17 when I got my license and then I got my car, it was a requirement that I maintain uh, a cell phone in order to be allowed to drive. It's one of the yeah. first things that I actually had to, um, I had a prerequisite that was my responsibility in order to be able to exercise my own freedom, which was irritating. But yeah, I had, so I had, there was a, there was a cheap phone company at the time that had a walkie talkie function. And for a dollar a day, you could use the walkie talkie function unlimited. My mom also had the same kind of service. So that's why for a dollar a day, I beep beep. And if, you know, it was prepaid. So I just load up some money on it and, some days I didn't use it at all. Some days I did. But as far as how it has, technology hasn't been a thing to draw me away from uh, my connection with the natural world. <clears throat> that was, it was more circumstantial. Um, adult life, responsibilities, school, work, uh, getting married. I, as I was saying, I've always been very comfortable being alone. I chose to be married and in doing so, I, I, there, there is no other way about it. That compromise that I wouldn't say I avoided, I just didn't take part in. That's not something I can't take part in anymore. Like I, I, in choosing to be married, you take part in that kind of a thing. So when I want to go you know, spend a weekend out in the woods, for example, as a consideration of uh, what is my wife doing during that time. And oftentimes, if if I'm going to go on an adventure, she wants to go on an adventure. But I require much less in the way of creature comforts as she does. Like, I would hop on, I could hop on my motorcycle and drive up into North Florida and find some woods and hang a hammock and sleep there for three days. And be totally comfortable with doing that. If I go camping with my wife, her she has a, an old back injury and just some physical foibles that facilitate or necessitate, I should say, uh, the use of uh, at least a tent and a decent air mattress for camping, which is fine. I'm willing to make that compromise. But it's more work and it requires more planning and if both of us are to go now we have three dogs so we have to make arrangements for the dogs because 
two of my dogs are fantastic and would be great camping dogs. My third dog is like, he's a great dog, but we took him camping one time. And while we were sleeping, he broke out of the tent and we woke up while he was returning. I didn't know he was returning. I just thought like, Oh, he had found his way out of the tent and I heard him like rustling around, like trying to get in the cooler or something. So I yelled at him. I opened the flap and brought him back in the next day. We were sitting around the campsite cooking breakfast and some people were walking by and they're like, is that your dog? I was like, well, yeah, of course it's my dog. He's chained up at my campsite. What do you think? They're like, Oh, he was running all around the campground last night. Like, what? <laughs> they're like, Oh yeah. He went to like four, five different campsites. He just come. It was really scary at first. Cause we have bears and my dog is a Rottweiler. So he really? looks kind of like, especially coming out of the woods in the dark, he looks like a black bear. <laughs> he just, and he's like, yeah, he just run up into the campsite and walked around and got petted by people and people were feeding him hot dogs and he was having a grand old time. So apparently he got out, ran around for like two hours in the woods at the campground, made a bunch of friends and then just came back. Like he's a great dog and he comes back. He never wanders too far, but he just, he's, he's ADHD. That's the best way to describe him. He's an ADHD dog. Whereas the other two, they stick close. They, they mind very well and they're they're more calm <laughs> but you've but just, got an explorational dog yeah i do and i i don't knock him for it i just got to cope with it but yeah. that's those are those kind of things there's there's a lot more to do about uh leading a functional adult life that makes that connection more difficult unless you arrange your adult life in a way like that would be my dream is to have like a house like my like my dad had at one point or like my grandparents something that's outside of town in a natural environment where i i <clears throat> where my life is of closer access to that nature yeah. and that connection so i don't have to put forth so much effort to escape from the rest of it in order to maintain that connection. And so it's your, your, obviously you, you, you've got your own podcast on the go and, and you're studying at the moment, but, and, and you say that you obviously going into, into your marriage as well, being able to have contact with her. And then if, and the, in a metaphorical sense, if if that was not if none of that was important, would you would you still surround yourself with the amount of technology you have, or would you move away from that? I think I would still maintain a similar level of technology, hmm. but I would use it in many different ways. So, mm -hmm. like, just the technology I was telling you about earlier—that's just that's my office. That's what I hmm. use on a regular daily basis. But I also like I have I like woodworking. It's another hobby that I have right now. I haven't been pursuing it because all my roommates things are stored in my garage at the moment, waiting for his yeah. house to get built. Um, but I, I have a full work table and a full set of interchangeable, like lithium battery operated tools. Because when I, when we got this house, that's what I, I wanted to have was a workspace to where I could build things. I built things for the house. I you know, replaced all the floors myself. So I use all that technology as well. Obviously, cars um, use use those. <clears throat> uh, Netflix streaming, entertainment technology, 
Uh, I have a PlayStation 4, which I know the PlayStation 5 has been out for a while now, but you can't get those. Um, my PlayStation 4 is up there on the shelf. It hasn't been plugged in in over a year. I just That's not so I, I enjoy from time to time, but I don't I don't pursue it as a as a hobby. It's it's a it's an occasional pastime for me. Yeah. And that that also ties into my that individuality and that like going it alone thing. I, a large portion of my core friend group are very avid gamers and they they get together and online gaming so they can get together and play those games together even at a distance and when i do play my my style is more like solo type games uh there's a there's a game series that came out years ago called uncharted it's a solo game it's a it's an adventure it's very cinematic and beautiful and there's a great story to it and i played through they had a deal a couple years back where you get all four of the games for free if you had the PlayStation subscription and my wife does. So I downloaded all four of those games and I played through all four of them consecutively in 10 days. So if, if I didn't have any of those, I don't want to call them hangups. If I didn't have any of the responsibilities or ties that I do, my connection, not necessarily with nature, but there would be a lot more nature involved. Um, I know exactly. I would be, I would live in a van. Like I would, I would find a way to make money on the road. I would live in a van and I would go wherever, whenever I would never stop there. It's that was like the sideline dream that I had from like, from the minute I graduated high school, that was just, I want to take a year and do this. Actually, that's what I wanted to do. When I graduated high school, my mom was very vehement about, well, you know, have you gotten yourself enrolled in college yet? Because I was going to go to the local junior college and commute to and from home, you know, basically just a continuation of high school. I was like, no, I'm going to take a year off. I don't even know what I want to do with my life. I'm, I'm going to take a year off of college. And she said, cool. No. Okay. But like, I'm, I'm going to take a year off and kind of figure out my life and well I was only 17 when I graduated high school and I was going to be I wouldn't turn 18 until I started college um and as a 17 eight year old like it would have required me to take a couple months work hard save some money get myself a van or some sort of suitable vehicle that I could sleep in camp in and a little bit of money on the side so that I could get started on doing this. And like the internet wasn't quite the money-making machine that it is today yet. Like you couldn't make money on YouTube yet, <clears throat> but there was still, you know, blogging was a thing. There, there were other ways that one could even make a scratch by existence. Plus, you know, I could fish for food if I really needed to. I was a heavy set. I'm a heavy set dude. So even if it came down to dire straits and like, oh man, I'm hungry. Yeah, you're hungry, but I like I could survive for a while. If I got fresh water, I could I probably could have done a lot for my physical health if I had done this too, just by you know going through a little bit of scarcity. And it just that would have been a thing I wanted to do, but basically, what you need to do in order to make this happen, I'm not going to facilitate. That was that was my mother's stance. I'm not going to facilitate you being able to make that happen. 
you need to go to college because no one else in your family has gone to college and you're the smartest one. And it was, it was very much all of that. Like, you know, don't make the same mistakes I did. Like <clears throat> that, that whole thing. And like, that was someone else's responsibilities being placed on me. Uh, but you know, I, I took it and ran with it. I've, I've always thought of myself as very responsible. So that was, I guess, I was an easy note to play to uh, manipulate me into doing something that I much rather would have not done. So yeah, that's it. I would probably maintain a similar level of technology as I had right now at a minimum um, a laptop, some sort of audio visual recording and a cell phone and a motorcycle. And, and so as you, as you as you grew up, um, you said you you didn't you didn't um, maintain a, a mobile phone or cell phone until you were seventeen. So mm-hmm. in, in that period, as you were growing up, what what sort of influences did you have on technology? And that goes back to that question again: is that um, do you feel that? the the exploration and stuff you did when you were younger sort of gave you a different boundary or a different perspective on the technology that everyone or a lot of people seem to use that today do you think that gave that's given you a different boundary and a different perspective on what people use today certainly um it probably some of it good some of it bad because mm. there is an aspect of technology that's very I would say insidious and unhealthy and it's having to have a like that constant connectivity and being able to check this and check that and keep up on this and care about your fault. And it's for a lot of people unhealthy, but everything in moderation that that particular description, if used correctly can also be a tool to help generate success in today's world. And that's something that I overlooked for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I don't need it. Even after, once I was over the age of 18, uh, I had, I, I kept my cell phone going uh, because I had a girlfriend and I wanted to be able to, you know, for her to call or for me to call her and a handful of friends that I would speak to. Um, most of them like friends that I kept in touch with when I left Michigan, who I'm still dear friends with to this day, but there were multiple periods of time, even after that, where, um, like my phone got stolen and I just didn't get a new one for like three or four months. And then I pick up a new phone again, staying in touch with, or communicating with people. The connection with nature at that point was beginning to be something that had to have effort attached to it so uh, the connection with friends helped with that because I would still connect with friends and we would go do things in nature such as like play golf or frisbee golf was very big in that point of my life or floating down the river we would do that every chance we got all summer long I would still be doing that all summer long if I lived near a suitable place can't do that here because alligators um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> unless you go to North Florida where the springs are because the water's too cold yeah. for alligators. Um, yeah. So good point. 
I, I multiple occasions, I like I would find myself without a phone and just not bother to get another one because it was just that it was like a periodic disconnect. I would just, oh, my phone's gone. And like I wasn't living in I was living in Cape Canaveral near the beach at the time. Uh, but as an adult and you know, I'm on my own and doing my own thing, my primary mode of transportation is still my bike or my feet because well, at the time I was, it was somewhat hard times. I was working for minimum wage and trying to, this was me out on my own. And I just didn't have a phone for, I don't know, a month and a half or something like that. And I didn't really notice a difference in my life, like in my quality of life. And because of my general day to day, I, you know, I walk to work or ride my bike, I go to the beach, I cruise around town, having drinks, and I just run into people, or I, I knew the people I knew that I would like to associate with, I just, I knew where they were, or where they lived. And I would just, I was that guy, I would just swing by. Like, uh, and that, <clears throat> today, that seems so foreign. Like yeah. for anybody to just drop by, like, just, uh, you're just going to come by without letting me know. Like, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> I couldn't call you even if I wanted to, <laughs> <laughs> but even that that's per that's permeated into my, uh, mine and my wife's life. Um, <clears throat> everybody who is welcome at my house never has to call first. They'll call to see if we're home, if they're thinking about it, but like, if you're welcome here, you don't have to call. They have, they all have the, the code to my door and they can just let themselves in. And I've, we've had that for as long as we've been together. If you're welcome at my house, you are always welcome at my house. Mm. And it's, it's a bit of a weird dynamic because some people, they just, that's so foreign to them that they'll knock anyway when they come over yeah. and then the dogs go nuts like my dogs lose their mind when people knock because everybody who's welcome there just comes in and they know that. So they get on alert when anybody knocks at the door, a delivery guy, solicitors, it doesn't matter. And I, I like, I'll get on alert. Someone will knock and I'll show I'll open the door. Like, why are you knocking? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, I no. think that's, that is a, a, a disconnect that you certainly have these days is, and it's been mentioned with a few guests before as well that that whole idea of people now phone to or message someone to say, are you free? I'll give you a ring or are you at home rather than and a lot of it was talking about having that space to just walk around to someone's house and turn up. So it's interesting that that you still have that dynamic It's quite cool. Yeah. And that I think I carried that from from my upbringing because my. The house I grew up in, at least my mother's house and my father's, um, they were they were both like that. Mm. Like the the people who are welcome are always welcome. And again, a lot of times they would call, but sometimes they wouldn't. And, you know, people just drop by like, hey, I, I drove by. I saw your truck. I had to stop, you know, and, and it's it's just that welcome thing of. We don't have to make a plan to stay in touch with each other mm -hmm. we just do i i was in the neighborhood i drove by 
that place that we used to hang out. And I was like, mm, you know what? I know you live nearby here. I'm going to stop by because I just thought of you. And it's, you know, it's like a gift, the thought that counts mm. because there was an actual thought involved. I just thought I might like to see you. And we, we would get visitors or guests at my mom, my parents' house. Some people would just stop by who like I knew because I had been around them as a child, but I, we would randomly get people who like my mother or myself, they would have friends stop by. They hadn't seen in years. Just stop by like, Oh my God, what are you doing here? <laughs> and you know, sometimes my mom was notorious for this. She'd have random people from her past just stop by and then not leave for like weeks <laughs> or they would just, they would become, they would, like haven't seen you in years. They just stop by and become regulars for the next six months, a year, year and a half. And then, you know, then they were gone again. It's an interest dynamic to, to, to keep, to keep up. And, and certainly in the culture that we live in where everyone needs to check. Yeah. If you're, if you're available to have that chat or to pop round and stuff, it's, it's quite refreshing, which sort of leads so, us on to, sorry, go for it. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, sometimes I'll do that, but I'll like, I'll message or I'll call somebody like, Hey, you home? Yeah. I'm just kidding. I know you're home. I'm in the driveway. <laughs> just, just to mess with like, I know you're home, but you know, just cause you know, you might be one of those people who wants the courtesy of a call first. Like, Hey, are you home? I was going to stop by. They're like, yeah, swing by. I was like, cool. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get cool. I get called strange by my colleagues at work. Cause I'd rather phone them than send them a message or something like that. And then they sort of sit, sit like, Jesus, what's he phoning for? <laughs> I don't like waiting for people to respond for a text message, especially when it's a, when it's a quick question, like, Hey, are you home? Can I stop by? I could message you that and you not get back to me till next week. Or I could just mm -hmm. call you and you'd be like, yeah, I'm home. Swing by or, ah, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm about to leave, whatever. But you answer my question immediately and I move on to the next thing. And so let me send this text and how much time am I willing to devote to waiting to see if this pans out? No. Oh, exactly. So uh, uh, that, that leads on to the, the, the next question. Um, is in your, in your perspective, how do you think that um, technology has changed our modern day culture and society? Um, how much time you got? Well, as much time as you want to give me. So I know personally, like I said, my life has changed a lot from what it was regarding uh, connection to the natural world just due to the nature of growing older and life changing over time. But I also, I do find myself quite often like trying to get my fix of that nature through Instagram, social media, Google, I used to spend one of my previous jobs. I worked in an office and it was a call center. And sometimes we would have a fair amount of downtime, like just waiting for the phone to ring or just on a slow day. I would fill my slow day time because most of the internet is blocked off in those kind of situations. But uh, Google Maps was not blocked off. And I would, I would spend hours just zooming in on Google Maps at different places that I wanted to visit 
checking out the local topography. Where's this park? What does this area look like? Or a place that I had heard of, uh, talked about, <clears throat> or just a random, I was into uh, brewing my own beer for a while. And there's a brand that uh, makes outdoors gear called, uh, I think it's pronounced Yakima or Yakima, but Y-A-K-I-M-A. That is a place that is also well-known for the production of hops. So I looked it up like, oh, where's, where's Yakima? Well, it's in, it's in central-ish Washington, just over the mountains from where Seattle is. So just, just on the, what you'd say is the dry side of Washington, because that state is actually half desert. <clears throat> so I, I went there and I looked, oh, oh, it's right here. And I and like nestled into this valley right next to the mountains. So like, oh, there's a ski resort right there. And this fair stones throw away from Spokane. It's a stone throw away from Seattle, man. That's a great area. I'd love to live there. And then I go scroll up along the coast and like, Oh, there's a little town here. And I go from there and I would look at, you know, daydreaming, looking at property. Like, Could I afford to buy property out here? You know, just buy some empty land and go camping, you know, in the summertime. I, I would do that all over the world, all over the country. I go find places. I even, you know, as, as recently when I, Last year, I heavily picked up playing golf again, which I used to do a lot in my youth. I've, I've gone all around the world, like these small deserted islands in like, like Madagascar or Mauritius or uh, places in Indonesia. Let's find these. Let's find the tiniest island that has a golf course on it. The tiniest, most remote deserted island that I can in the middle of the ocean that has a golf course. I want to go. I want to go vacation there. You know, I subscribe to a bunch of pages that have nature and adventure type things on them. And I try to get my fix digitally. It never works. You just want more and more and more and more. I don't, I, I feel like I went off on a tangent. What was the specifics of the question? Yeah, it was how technology had changed modern day culture and society. I mean, you, you, you hit on the points there is that you, you would to, to fill this downtime in rather than, doing some other thing you would hit google up and you would be looking at these places and where you want to be in in the outdoors and stuff so you know you were hitting some of the some of the question but technology and how that's changed monday culture and society yes and but i also along that note i also can't deny i don't think anyone can or should deny there are <clears throat> immeasurable positive influences that technology has created in society it like technology has made it legitimate that people like myself if i was if i was born 10 years later than i was i i would have left high school and immediately moved into a van and set off on the road because it's not just theoretical like there there there's proof of concept out there vloggers youtubers instagram people you know um affiliate market there's so many things you can do as long as you have not even that stable of an internet connect as long as you have access to a starbucks hmm. you can you can support yourself financially from anywhere in the world <clears throat> as mobile as you want to be hmm. so like it has it has made what was a a theoretical and a probable struggle which the struggle probably would have been good because i'd have been better for it in the long run but 
I wouldn't have had to, con- you know, it'd be a little bit of convincing because I grew up around and was raised by old school people who you should do this because the, you know, you should do this because it's the thing you should do. So you should do it. But I would have had more, I would have had more teeth with uh, pursuing my desires and the things that, that mattered to me. So, I mean, I think overall still technology is, I think it's done more good than it's done harm. And I think the harm that gets attributed to technology should, you know, if you point a finger this way, there's three more pointing back at you. The humans using that technology and it's doing bad things to them, they should be looking more at themselves as to why it's doing that bad thing to them. Because the psychology is there. I mean, a lot of technology is designed to be addictive. But that information is available to you. So for you to not know it and not do something about it, that still, that's a user, that's user error. You're not taking into account the hazards. You Every time, have you ever fully read the terms and conditions of any online service, app, website, or <laughs> contract? You're going to get me in trouble here. No, I've never read. Ne- neither have I. And I've been thinking about it because I like to read, but for knowledge reasons, I've also found that um, uh, there's been a bunch of cool things like the, I forget it, the terms and conditions to uh, the Peacock. I don't know. There's a streaming service hidden in the terms and conditions. If you ever watched, uh, you're from England. So have you ever watched The Office? Have you watched both versions hidden in the terms and conditions of this streaming service is the actual recipe for Kevin's chili. No joke. I forget which company it was. There was another, uh, (laughs) they, they hid within their terms and conditions. They hid some sort of like a sweepstakes or a giveaway or like a, a prize. The first person, they only, this was one prize the first person to simply call call contact or something and reference this clause in the terms and conditions won like a car or like it was a massive prize that they put in their terms and conditions for one person and it took like four and a half years you know this is this is like an app that had over a million downloads it took over four years for someone to actually read the terms and conditions and find that clause that it's just exemplifies like, yeah, technology can be bad. Mm. Just like alcohol can be bad, Mm. but alcohol is also medicine. It's also social lubrication. There's so many things it can be used for. It can be bad if you know the risks and use it appropriately, then it's more good than bad. I think it's a, it's a humanity problem. It's not a, it's not a technology problem. Interesting. I, it's a, a case of you're, you're coming at it from a different perspective from some other people, because there's been people who have said that it's, you know, there's a, a 
a, a spectrum like uh, bad, neutral and good as well. Um, and then there's people that have turned around and said, no, it, it, the, the way that they're designed is they're designed to hit that um, reward circuit in the brain and, and it's inherently bad because the way that they make money is to keep you on there and so they're going to make it. But it's a user error thing and it's the boundaries that you set and you have to make sure that you see if you're going down a rabbit hole with it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's so, like food. Food is good, hmm. but too much food is bad. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what kind of food you're talking about. I I did a little bit of an experiment with my dogs. And in the case of food, uh, hmm. it turns out that too much food isn't necessarily bad, depending on what kind of food. Hmm. Uh, my dog almost died from pancreatitis. The The treatment for which is just a, an adjusted diet. I was advised by the veterinarian, don't feed her any fat. So they went on a diet of homemade food, uh, white Mm -hmm. meat, chicken, rice, and vegetables. No Mm -hmm. fat whatsoever. My dogs, while they were on that diet, were eating as much or more food than I was on a daily basis, like total volume. And both of them. Both like my male Rottweiler was 135 pounds. He was a big, massive dog. And by the time we took them off that diet, he was down to like 75. They were skin and bones and they, they were not going without food at all. They got, they got somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, about two, two solid pounds of food a day. And both of them just, continually lost weight and nothing else changed in their lives and they're they play but they're they're house dogs we have a backyard they play there and like they go out they run around with each other they have free reign to that but for the most part they you know they lay around they relax they play in the morning and a little bit in the afternoon as they want to but both of them like just continually lost weight to the point where people were asking like what is wrong with your dogs? They're both like skin and bones. It's like these, both these dogs get two pounds or more of food every day. They eat, they eat as much or more like solid food as, as I do. And for them, like, I don't know if you've ever looked at, they're supposed to get, I don't know, like a cup, like a full cup or a cup and a half of food twice a day. That's what the dog food bag says. We put them back on, like regular dog food but a a higher quality dog food they get half as much as they're recommended and they've both put on like 10 to 15 pounds since getting back on that food and i'm giving them half the recommended amount so it's it it was a long tangent about food but it's the same thing like food is good you need it to live but if you overdo it it can also kill you it's a drastic example, but I, I'm very big on personal responsibility. Yeah. And I, I just feel like blaming, blaming the massive advancements for good that humanity has made for humanity's own misuse of those advancements. I mean, to be fair, that's like humanity's bread and butter. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? The meme yeah. with Eric Andre where he shoots the guy says, why would so-and-so do that? 
<laughs> right, brilliant. Well, thanks for that, mate. So I think we'll end it there. We'll cover some great stuff uh, through that. So at the end of the podcast, I always ask uh, a question, a bit of an ambiguous one. If you could live anywhere off the grid for a whole year, you wouldn't have to worry about money or uh, coming back to a job or whatever, anything like that. Responsibilities, it's fine. Um, where would you go and what would you do for that year? That's an ambiguous question. Can I ask a clarifying question? You can ask a clarifying question. I can? Yeah. Okay. When you say off the grid, does this mean like living totally naturally off the land without any sort of technology? Or could I have like one or two things that make my life just that much more meaningful? Um, it is up to you. Okay. Uh, in that it's case, easy. if I could live anywhere just without any dependence on technology, it was purely mm-hmm. uh, enriching. I, I hate to say somewhere that I've never actually been, but the things I do know about this place are that the weather is perfect for what I would like to do. Um, so I would say rural California or just generally speaking, the Pacific coast, like from top to bottom um, Pacific Northwest, perhaps in the summer. And then when it gets cold, go a little bit further South, but uh, like along the, the Sierra Nevadas and the Hills of the Pacific coast uh, with, <clears throat> and I, I would having all things equal and having my way, I would have myself a motorcycle and a travel pack. Ideally I could have my wife with an ID with an identical kit. Uh, I don't mind her riding on the back, but it's more fun. You can get into it more when you're riding yourself. So, uh, you know, my wife and myself on motorcycles with tour packs, just touring up and down the up and down the West coast and all the rural areas of the United States. I would spend a year doing that in a heartbeat that sounds like a fantastic year of just being free and doing and doing what 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 needs to be done you know so yeah that's the dream perfect well that sounds like a brilliant year away um just when's when's uh when's your podcast out and where where can we find it uh it'll it should be on every uh, every service where you can find podcasts are all the typical ones. So Apple, Spotify, I, Stitcher. I'm, I'm not, I don't have all of them like ready to rattle off, mm-hmm. but I'm going to be using a hosting and distribution service that yeah. automatically feeds them out to all the, all the normal sources. Mm-hmm. So it should be available wherever you listen to podcasts. And yeah. like I said, it should be, I'm going to be doing the rest of the, registration and uh, uploads of what I have today and the first episode should be out will be out by the end of this week perfect and What's the name at of the, the opposition theory opposition and theory. for the time being it's going to be uh once a week I want to say Thursday we'll just make that live it's going to be putting it out it's going to be coming out on Thursdays and it's at the moment once a week my goal is to work my way up to multiple times a week if I can, I can get a steady guest stream. Uh, it's an open invitation to anybody who might hear this. If you'd like to be on a guest, come convince me of something that you're passionate about, or at least discover 
what common ground we have through our differences, opposition-theory.com. There's an open invitation to book yourself a time slot to come and record. All right, perfect. I will just end the recording there. Thanks very much for coming on, mate. It was brilliant. Yeah, Craig, it's been a blast. I This is a great topic that I love to talk about. So this was... Um, this was great for me. It's very cathartic to uh, go back and kind of remember all the things that give me joy. Yeah. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad we can make a cathartic experience for you. Big thank you again for Daniel for joining us on the Unplugged Debate. Daniel has his own podcast called The Opposition Theory. It's out on most major directories. So head over to there, give it a listen. Until next time, Thank you for listening.